you want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were truly in my damn homeland. Hey everybody, welcome back to On She Goes. Uh, The next two episodes are actually going to be pretty special. We had a chance to be the official podcast of the 13th annual Ad Color Conference in Los Angeles. The theme of this year's conference was Take a Stand, taking a stand at work and in life. We took a deep dive on this episode with Ibro Darden, Chantel Rochelle, Ty Beauchamp, and others on what it means to truly take a stand. Please enjoy episode one from the two-part Ad Color podcast. Thank you. And now we're here with Ebro Darden, global editorial head and hip hop and R&B at Apple Music. Um, So you mentioned in relation to taking a stand that most people really want to stay in their comfort zone. They're not waking up at 8 a.m. to kind of have that conversation. Um, What do you feel needs to be done or to motivate the next generation of leaders to really help empower them to take that stand? I think um, what we were talking about was normalizing the conversation, making it, um, making it cool, normal, and like regular uh, part of everything dialogue and culture in America, right? Which I think has happened over the last few years thanks to social media and the Black Lives Matter movement and these things that became okay on social media. Then the activists themselves became, you know, celebrities in their own right and people that we revere for the work that they're doing. I think that enables other individuals to go, hey, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Let me get out from behind the keyboard or get out of the house and actually go and touch and affect people who need to feel that, you know, that human connection to inspire, you know, more more change and more, you know, uh, more activism. 100%. So activism, I feel like it's giving people a lot of purpose right now, which That's is right. amazing. But what do you think shifted? Like, I know social media is a big part because you're seeing people be a part of this movement, but I just feel like even in the last 10 years, like, activism wasn't a thing, and then all of a sudden, it's like, everyone's an activist, Mm -hmm. and it's really powerful, but also something about it, I don't know, like... It feels like a trend, is that what you want to say? Yeah. It lacks some depth. It's good, like, it's purpose, but, like, is it superficial? You know, um, it might be, but should we care if it's superficial, if it is pushing the conversation and making people want to learn about the issues that we have, yeah. right? right? Um, I try to, I've, I make that same snarky kind of, you know, because I'm a cynic, right? And I'll be on the radio sometimes, same. I'll be like, oh, everybody want to be, right. you know what I'm saying? Oh, it's cool now. Now, you know, Drake got God's plan, he gives money. <laughs> you know, everybody, but really at the end of the day, that's just us being cynical, right? right? Mm-hmm. However people get there, let's welcome them when they come. Yeah. That's the truth, right? Yeah, let's not... That. And people, and then people who are potentially showing up the wrong way, right? Because there's people who do that, whatever sure. the issues are. And they don't know, kind of, you know, because there are certain issues where if you're not of that group, right, you shouldn't be representing certain things. Individuals of a particular group should be the ones on the front line, right? Right, right representing those issues that are near and dear to that community. Um, and I think when people show up the wrong way, sometimes we can be a little harsh on them, mm-hmm. right? And expel them, like, yeah. you don't Cancel. belong, get out of here, Stay whatever. in your lane. Stay in your lane, yeah. and these things that can be very uh, off-putting, and 
I think we need to, we can do a better. Those of us that you know have uh, worked on things or know people that are, I think it's important to you know do that privately and and right. help them kind of you know do it the right way, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that if the especially if the intention is to forward the convo, mm-hmm. even if they're doing it to be popular, even if they're doing right. it just it's to be cool, cool. Yeah. I don't love the the uh, the reasoning, but I don't want to expel the energy either. Right, right. Because you want that energy to still be something that people rally around. It's intention versus impact. The impact's still there. There you go. See, that's why y'all do what y'all do. Yeah, (laughs) we can summarize it. (laughs) Um, You talked at length about reparations. I'm curious if there are any other issues that you don't think are having the spotlight shown on them that you would like to advocate for. Um, I would say there is a conversation brewing around the weaponizing of religion. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. most people would be afraid to get to. Yeah. Yep. Because sure. as we enter the 2020 election, mm-hmm. they're going to use certain trigger points abortion. For sure. Um, marriage equality. These mm-hmm. all are tied to often religious for perspectives, sure. yep. mm-hmm. which for black and brown people who come from often very religious homes, mm-hmm. right, it fragments everyone in some way, right? right? Of wherever they, whatever they think is right in the Bible or whatever, you know, is right in their house or whatever's right in their culture. Um, and I think a, a, a spiritual awakening and a better understanding of the purpose um, of, of religion is something that I would like to see people get to. I think it's starting, but yet... Yeah, um, the weaponizing of religion, you know, and, and globally it happens too, where people are like, you know, this is, you know, the chosen one, and this, you know, you start hearing these little code words for like, you know, and even even the current president has thrown those things. I'm the king of Israel. I'm the chosen one. Yeah. There is a Christian right that thinks he, with all of his controversy. God works his best miracles mm-hmm. through the most flawed individuals. Yep. And that right word. there <laughs> will get people, well, I mean, mm-hmm. and then you start thinking about self and you start thinking about does this current state of affairs benefit me, my bank account, right. my interests, my church, right? Right. And now all of a sudden here we are uh, mixing you know, um, church, church and state, state. Mm-hmm. Yep. just like that. Yeah. So yeah. I think if that became something that people were more aware of and it's, you know, it's a, that's a big one. For right? sure. It's very it's controversial. Super yeah. Scary yeah, too. yeah. I have a question about hip hop culture and, uh, the way that consumerism feeds off of hip hop culture. Do you feel like consumerism and corporate is giving back to hip hop the way not. that they, yeah, never happened. Yeah, it feels like it's like. I mean, there's been some moments in hip hop, I think, where the artists have monetized the impact mm-hmm. they've had on culture, like mm-hmm. Run DMC and my right, Adidas, Adidas. Mm-hmm. right? They, you know, I don't think they got probably what they deserve. Oh, definitely not. Uh, yeah, but they did monetize it. Um, and behind the scenes, I think there's things that happen where you don't know an artist has a deal in place or is gonna is uh, benefiting from their uh, weaving something into a song or mm-hmm. whatever. I think it happens more than we know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this is not a new phenomenon either. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely right. not. And do you feel like if maybe more corporations got, you know, had people who understood hip hop culture, such as yourself, like in the rooms, you know what I mean? To like help facilitate those relationships and make sure that people are getting their just due would be um, helpful. I think it could help. 
mm-hmm. right? Um, I think, you know... Like, we see what Beyonce is done, honest, you know? I'm on the other side of it, right? Right. Because I put hip-hop before I put my own check mm-hmm. in my own bank account. Mm-hmm. Because hip-hop is the thing that... Um, enabled us to have jobs. It gave brown people a voice. For sure. It gave Pan-Africanism and the diaspora a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that uh, mainstream media did not want to embrace because it was the street music and drug right. music. And, you know, it was controversial, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the more it aligns with corporate America, the more it begins to play the game of capitalism, mm-hmm. which is in there. It's already in there. Yeah. But there is a... You know, an outspokenness mm-hmm. um, that exists in hip hop because they don't have sponsors, mm-hmm. because they're not concerned about True. losing money. Yeah. And it, there was a period there before streaming began began to monetize where artists were so concerned about their corporate sponsors. I believe it jeopardized the uh, the socio political nature of what hip-hop is talking about because mm-hmm. they're so concerned about getting not being able to go on tour not having a sponsor for their tour and that's mm-hmm. so when you look back at a krs1 public enemy uh even eminem and his controversy and, and saying what he wanted to say or you look at um x clan x clan mm-hmm. right um they weren't thinking about a corporate sponsor. No, not at all. They yeah. were going to sell their records, whether you liked what I was saying or not. Mm-hmm. That's why the whole parental guidance sticker thing was meant to like, ooh, now Kinda nobody's s- going to buy it. They mm-hmm. didn't know that that was actually going to make it more Enticing. appealing. Yeah. Right? Because it was like, ooh, I'm not supposed to have this. Let me get that. Um, and there's there's a, a gift and a curse in that, too, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, uh, misogyny and, you know, uh, just, you know, uh, loose uh, perverted sexuality and things that happen in that space as well. Yeah. Um, but I think some of that is just that um, is that freedom to just express whatever you're thinking, which I think is the appealing part of hip hop and gives it the impact, mm-hmm. right? But there's also the negative aspects of it. And so the more aligned it is with a corporation or an artist is with a corporation, they get you know more concerned about losing that check. So right. I, that wouldn't be something that I would want to participate in. For sure. You know, um, I've, I've had brands reach out to me, you know, and say, hey, can you help us contact so-and-so and this and that and the third? Um, and I've I've helped. Like, here goes so-and-so's number. You know, my friends that work at Foot Action or friends that have worked at Pepsi or whatever. Right, right. Um, and oftentimes those brands stay away from artists, too, once mm-hmm. they start examining lyrics. Like, I've seen that happen, too, where... You know, certain artists who may have said one or two things on a particular song didn't get a sponsorship because the brand was, especially after Bill O'Reilly and the whole group oh, yes. and that whole business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen it go both ways, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I would never probably take a job at a, a, yeah. a company trying to trying to do that. Consultant. How do you think we can keep brands and corporations accountable when they're leveraging hip hop for their own monetization? It's up to the consumer and the artist, mm-hmm. right? It's up to us as the hip hop culture to be like, nah, that's whack, mm-hmm. which we do. Yeah. yeah. Yep. We absolutely <laughs> yeah. be like, that's trash. Take yeah. that down right now. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. 
So I think that I think let the people do it. Let yeah. hip hop remain something of yeah. the people. Do you think that artists are are a little nervous to take that stance because like I mean I think now that we've seen like Beyonce for example I guess she was walking in with Reebok and she was like there's not enough brown people in this room I'm out like you know and then walked into Adidas. Do you think that other artists are scared to do that Absolutely. to make that move? Absolutely. And be that confident? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because you are looking at losing money. Right. right. Right, and if your ticket sales or your album sales aren't making you the amount of money that you would like to make, you're afraid to to make that move. Yeah. You know, because being relevant and mattering in music and entertainment is mm -hmm. what sustains your career. For sure. Yep. Right? Um, and, you know, there's wins and losses in that, right? There's artists who are going to take something to get a certain look, um, and it may not play out right, and then you got to recover, right, and figure out how to, you know, continue to make mistakes in public and pivot and try to, you know, make amends with your audience or whatever. We've seen mm -hmm. that before. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen it several times several before. Times. Yeah, like we've seen Kanye West try yeah, to make amends. That's right literally now. what I was just thinking about. Right? Right. Kanye West, the whole, you know, and nobody's going to say anything, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to say that his spirituality is, you know, um, and, and his whole, you know, what he's trying to do with the music Sunday or service whatever. Sunday service and everything. He's right? But it's convenient. It is. It's incredibly right? Very convenient. And, and it creates a space where people are going to go, I mean, it's the Lord, you know, forgiveness, boom, and boom, that, boom. That's kind of what you were talking about a little bit earlier where you were saying, like, black and brown folks especially, like, right. that's so close to our heart. We grew up right. in religious homes, so we're automatically seeing that as, right. like, this is the moment. You know what I right. mean? Like, we, right. he deserves our forgiveness. And you have to ask the question, so what is actually genuine here? Right. right. Was the MAGA hat genuine? Mm -hmm. Was the meeting with Trump genuine? Right. Was and how do we know? flag Jesus jacket? Yeah. 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 How do we know? He's had problems. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Kanye's always had some controversial yeah. thing and moments that is a part of his brand. Um, and look, it all may be actually him. He's a complex sure. character. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. um, but I just put up a caution for myself. Same. You know yeah. what I mean? Where it's just kind of like, I may love the music, but, you know, less. Yeah. I feel like my personal feelings get hurt too easily when Same. the artists that I love let me down. So I just kind of stay away. Yeah. There's people like that. I think they're flawed. They're humans. Yeah, you know what for I mean? sure. And part of it, and most with most artists, their flaws are why they uh, con we connect with them so well. Mm -hmm. Right? It, you know, even when you think about somebody as great as Beyonce... Lemonade took her up a notch because now we got to see the cracks in the arm. We got to see the actual. We got to see the cracks in yeah. the crown. We got to her and Hove and the whole everything that was right. happening. It was like, oh wait. Like, oh, it's not perfect. Oh, oh, yeah. Got problems like anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And it's humanity. I mean, it's like yeah. no one. I mean, I've heard Hove get guff about you know the stuff that he put Beyonce through and everything right. else. So, I mean, but it was really easy for everybody to forgive him. You yeah. know, except well, for the Beehive. I, I don't know what's going on over there. Relate. Yeah. Right? They can relate. Like, nobody out here is immune to somebody cheating in a relationship. Mm -hmm. There's nobody immune to that, male or female. Yeah. So do you think that artists have a social responsibility then, too? Like, with Kanye, like, the thing I was the most upset about was I'm like, there are so many people that look up to you and that take your word as, like, complete bond. You know, how can you go out... I think he's got a responsibility to what he believes in. Right. I think that's his only responsibility. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I don't think every artist is that person. I, mm -hmm. You know, we gotta, just like we're talking about uh, normalizing these conversations right. so that it's more comfortable for people to step into the space and participate. That's not who everyone is. Yeah. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? And I don't think we should put that weight on everybody, you know? Mm -hmm.
I think listeners should own their agency too, where it's like Kanye might say something, but you don't have to take it for word right. and have that yeah. awareness and that consciousness to be like, I like his music, but I don't have to believe right. yeah. his beliefs. Like, yeah. But I don't, I don't know why people haven't gotten to that step yet. Like, we're kind of... Because they're looking for leadership. They yeah. want to believe in something greater than themselves. Yeah. Same same with everything they want to believe that there is there are human entities that can mm. take them on a journey to in the right way yeah right. that's in all of us we want yeah. to believe in someone we want to believe in our uh, partners we want to mm. believe in our families we mm. want to believe in our churches we want to believe in you know politicians artists we want to believe that there's a i think that's just human yeah We are here with Chantal Rochelle. She is hi. the content lead of BuzzFeed Cocoa Butter. Yes, hi. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you ladies for having me. Can I see y'all, say y'all are giving my entire life right now? Like this elbow placement? <laughs> <laughs> y'all are like, one, two, three. Like, That's a classic video. I was wondering, room. from this side, you only see five heads. <laughs> it's pretty it's funny. Like information. Yeah. It's right. information. Right. We, we know a lot of patterns. I feel we like y'all about to bust out a song. Yeah. Y'all look we fantastic. Will. We, we were going to wear all the same group. Yeah, but we decided against it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, Chantel, my first question for you is, um, you all discussed moments that matter on the, the panel that you just did, Take a Stand, Moments That Matter. Yeah. And uh, my question for you, what, what moments are there that weren't discussed that you felt mattered specifically to black women this past year? Specific, specifically for black women, I think I just love to mention the just beautiful embracing of Lizzo. And mm. I think about her, I think of myself as a woman, a young girl who grew up not seeing myself represented in any facet in that way, whether it is in a lingerie ad, whether it's on television, whether it's in music and film, but to see her rise, because I've been following her since around 2014, yeah. 2015. Lizzo's not new to me, yeah. but mm -hmm. to the rest of everybody, they're just waking up, right? right? And so I remember when she came out with Good As Hell, when she came out with Truth Hurts, I remember thinking, who is, who is this like beautiful, like boastful, like black woman? I knew she was black, but when I went onto YouTube, and I clicked in her name, and I saw that she was full-figured. I said, take the will, Jesus. I was so moved because I never saw that. The first time, I mentioned this a lot um, when, I, when I speak about the first time I saw myself represented was when I watched That's So Raven. Raven right. yes, Baxter. Yes, yes Raven I Baxter. I am her, yes. and she is me, right? And yes. so when I think specifically about black women, I think Lizzo's done a great job of redirecting the narrative of, of not just about body positivity, but, but self-acceptance um, and self-love. like yes. What I love while she's done is she has basically redirected the conversation and saying, hey, I understand. I know how dope I am. The confidence is here. Now let's work on you. Let me be a vessel to help you see the same in return. Yes. So at every single um, concert that she's had, I've been to two of them this year alone. Nice. <laughs> she has a moment where she stops and she talks directly to the people. She says, put your hand over your heart. Feel that you are alive. You're breathing. You matter. You are worthy. No matter what your size is, no matter what you look like, you deserve to be here. You deserve to occupy the spaces that you're in right now. And so for me, when I see someone like Megan Thee Stallion, my H-Town, hold it down, yes, queen, yes. okay? Yes. Those, that, that the knees that she has. Oh my God. Can I can only aspire to, to cartilage to achieve, she has. right? Because yes. if I were to do that, the, the cartilage would be on the floor, okay? No, I, yeah, I'm not getting up. I'm not getting up. I don't even think I can make it. Where's the wheelchair, 
Just yeah, bring the wheelchair. First and, and, and six inch heels. Thank you so much. Sometimes it's eight inches. I'm yes. just like, sis, <laughs> your knees. I need my fate to be as strong as her knees. Yes. So I think about the rise of how they're also pushing the boundaries of what, you know, a black woman can look like when she is showing her body, when she is saying, this is me. You see when both these women, them loving themselves yes. and embracing their bodies so wholly and fully. One last thing I want to say, touching on the Megan the Stallion bit is seeing black female rappers especially embracing each other seeing people like the Tierra Wax seeing the Lizzo yes, seeing the Megan yes. Thee Stallion seeing Rhapsody. all of Rhapsody mm-hmm. seeing all, Malibu Mitch seeing everyone yeah. just Doja Cat all of these amazing yes. femcs saying yo sis let's win together let's mm-hmm. let's pour up let's party let's let's enjoy each other's company and not have this in competition because that's yeah. the thing I, I notice when it comes to whatever field you're in is you don't have to dim anyone else's light in order for you to shine brighter yes. you do say not say it again that's okay. a word. That's a word. <laughs> you really don't have don't. to. We can all yeah. win together. There's space and opportunity for all of us. Yes. Well, no one can steal your recipe because your sauce is unique to you. And so I try to make sure I tell people that as well. Like, hey, you're dope the way you are, the way you're created. I think Lizzo's also doing that. And when I think of black women, I just love to sing the Megan the Stallions. I love seeing the Lizzo's just basically redirecting that narrative and saying, hey, this is me. I love who I am. But let me hold up a mirror so you can see how great you are as well. To add on to that, just uh, your comment, it seems like... Like, these women, too, are just showing such a level of versatility. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the first time I saw Lizzo pull out the flute, I was okay. like... Okay. <laughs> I said, where is my French horn that they got on me about? I said, let me get the dust off this sucker. I said, I forgot how to play, but let's get at it. Okay, so I, got my mom, I asked my mom for the French horn. She said, child, we're going to do that thing away years ago. Look at me. I'm so excited. I'm up at the mic. But she's like, we threw that away years ago. I'm like, why did you? She's like, because you didn't care because you. she brought to my attention how I felt like I was judged and made fun of. But what I love with Lizzo... So she is teaching, especially black girls, that they can yes. do a flute. My niece was like, I want a clarinet. I said, okay, let's get you a clarinet. Yeah. I don't know how clarinets work, but we're going to get you one, okay? <laughs> we're going to get you a clarinet. And so it's just the, the beauty in seeing that that representation and yes. seeing like a Janelle Monae when she um, had her amazing visual a project, Dirty Computer, last year. Mm-hmm. Just seeing us consistently have more and more black women having autonomy and, and speaking and, and letting people know that whatever space you occupy is yours. You deserve to be there. Make it your own. Make it unique have your own spin on it but you deserve to be there yeah yeah now in terms of representation um who do you think that onus falls on in terms of making sure that those representations matter and, and happen? Do you think it is uh, media companies or corporations or consumers and, and regular people? I think it's all of the above. I also think it takes you knowing your worth and seeing the validity in yourself to know you deserve to be there first and foremost. Because when I look at brands and I look at media companies, I think it's all of you, everyone's collective effort to know the importance of that. What I was mentioning on the panel, when I look at the TV and films that have transcended that bought in money. Of course, there's an ROI, there's a return on investment there, but also, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do? Okay, we see Black Panther did well. Okay, cool, you can make it Black Panther 2, 3, and 4, but also with that, how are you going to pour back into the arts and education to make sure that the generation that's coming after them has the plant seeded to get there? Right. And so I look at, starting from education, I think at schools, I think of with guidance counselors, I think of proper training when it comes to me. When I was um, growing up, I wanted to, what did I want to do? I, I want to do so many things. I want to do now. 
NASA. I wanted to uh, to be Flo- Flojo. I want to. Do- I couldn't run to the to the door, yeah. but I wanted to be Flojo. Who did I think I was? Right. But having <laughs> the, pants, the okay, the pants, the, pants. the nails. Yeah. Okay. Who the was jewelry, I? Okay. Can we talk about it? All right, pieces. Anyway, so when I look at people who are the stakeholders, it's everyone. It's the brand company. It is the casting director. It is the strategy uh, strategist, the community manager. From the way you're speaking to your audiences, the way you're connecting with them, everyone is a stakeholder. I think until people see that, until everyone sees that everyone's job, we will continue to have the same thing. Oh, well, so-and-so will do it. Like I mentioned, like Black History Month being just in February because I work for a company that's based off of moments and based off of like, like let's what does longevity look like, right? So right. it's my job to let it be known that Black History Month is 24-8. Mm-hmm. We're going to have this all year yes. round. What? Sojourner Truth didn't just do this in February. Oh, psych, in September she did this too, okay? Right. Right. So we're going to bring that narrative front and center. So I think to your question, it's everyone's responsibility. Yeah. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Yeah. It's a, your, your stakeholder's responsibility, the brand. Everyone has to want to buy into it and to believe in, to understand the vision and also give those respective stakeholders the autonomy and creative freedom to do the work. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, and let them speak for themselves. Yeah, because yeah, no one knows your experience like you do. Like I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to speak to Asian Pacific Month and talk about food. I'm going to stay in my lane because exactly. okay, yes, you bring yes, it on 100%. over here. Yeah. If we talk about fried chicken, mac and cheese, if we talk about something else, I'm going to tell you my recipe. Okay, right. but that's what I'm saying. And so that's just knowing your lane, knowing what works for you, and just being cognizant that everyone is a stakeholder. Yeah. Do you ever find that when you have to tell people to stay in their lane, because there are some people that want to speak on things that don't necessarily involve them and it's like you know they get the boy I'm an ally and it's like you can be an ally but there's also a such thing as like movements made in silence Absolutely. you know what I mean uh-huh. Like, have you ever had a, a situation like that, or do you? Ever yeah, see? at this panel, they was talking about politics and stuff. I said, I know my lane. They was talking about Trump and stuff. I said, Mom said, if you don't have nothing good to say, say it. Don't say it at all. But speaking, <laughs> when you are speaking to something, making sure that when you're saying, it, you fully know what you're saying. I think also when it comes to um, just just speaking, having vulnerability. I like to say this, but also be careful with it. With my team, when it comes to content, we ask for forgiveness rather than permission. So yeah. we are very cognizant of the fact that I remember when Nipsey passed, it wasn't even a second thought. We did a tribute to him. We're like, listen, you might have X, Y, Z opinion of him, but this man changed lives. This man employed an entire community. This man bought an entire strip mall that kicked him out when he was 16 for selling his CD. So his legacy goes beyond whatever figure uh, mind you, side of you, you have of him. So we decided to touch on his legacy, and when we did that, people were just like, oh, I didn't know he did this. So you're outweighing the negative worth the good that this person brought and contributed to his community. So for me, when it comes to deciding what to speak to is just knowing your lane and not being afraid to be open saying hey this is not something I have expertise in whenever people send me their videos because we, we're black exposed person oh she does black videos send her this it's a black person send her the cut I'm like listen Chuck I don't want to watch this video today so yeah. how about we do this right like let's create a system where I'm not the person who also has the burden of, of handling these, these responsibilities Absolutely. and so what happens is it becomes invisible labor and when someone is speaking to something they don't have knowledge of making sure you acknowledge that. I make it very clear acknowledge when I don't have expertise in something. Hey, let's tweak it this way or this other person is a stakeholder. They can help you better. And so my job is very unique and when I mention the panel is I have a great opportunity to go from brainstorm to conceptualizing to shooting and editing a video to producing it to post-production to then putting it out into the world to, that's very rare. Mm -hmm. rare. To have complete creative autonomy and freedom to do that is something that 
took time. It took effort. It took years to get here. I was shoot dead about myself, be on social, publish it, then be booking. I'm booking all this. I'm doing this by myself, right? And so having stakeholders, having like the CEOs, having the brand deals saying, hey, I'm going to get out of the way and let you do the work, but also here are the financial backings and resources to do it. Because you've shown and proven time and time again that you can do the work and you can do it well. Yes. And so just knowing your, that goes to blowing your lane and staying in it. If you are a brand that doesn't know anything about black moms eating tofu or black bar barbecue, hey, I'm going to leave this to you. Yeah. Thank you, Shanti. Thank, Thank, so Thank you so much. I could talk to y'all for hours. Yes. Brunch next week, okay? <laughs> Thank you so much. Right. Thank you. Appreciate y'all. Yep. So we are here with Carla Hassan, Chief Brand Officer of City, as well as Diego Scotti, CMO of Horizon. Uh, they just got off a panel. Uh, also, take a stand. CMOs stand with ad color. And uh, I have a question. My first question for you, Carla, yeah. is, let me go over to my question. For women of color, notoriously having uh, two levels of barrier, being women specifically, and then also being of color, uh, do you feel that things are honestly evening out, evening out since movements like Time's Out, Me Too, like, you know, women's pay, equal pay. Do you feel like things are honestly getting better and honestly evening out in corporations? I would say that I feel like um, the conversation is starting to happen. So what I feel good about is that there's energy around the conversation. There's a willingness to have the conversation. And I think that there is movement. I think you can start to see a little bit of movement. But I would say that I don't think we're there yet at all, at right. all, because I still do think that there are some people that think it's a zero-sum game, that mm -hmm. if someone wins, someone loses, and uh, and actually, we, we can all win. We can all right. lift each other up. So I'm encouraged that there's a lot of conversation. I'm encouraged that there are more uh, people willing to have the dialogue and organizations saying, you know what, this is an issue, like actually acknowledging it's an issue. Um, but I'm, I'm not yet happy with the pace of movement, the pace of change, or some of the changes that are being made. But, but I have to give credit. I have to give credit, yeah. right? Because it's starting at least. Some things have to start somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. It's always the That's courageous true. view that started, mm -hmm. and then it kind of you know gains the momentum. But I think I think there are forums that are starting. You're starting to see the change. What do you think would take it to the next level? I, I just think more um, action, right? And I think and one action and two measurement. So I think once we actually start to see that the that that the decisions that are being made, new decisions, the the hiring of certain people, the you know placement of certain people in different positions, I think once we start to see that we're actually getting measure the actual business impact of that, I think you're you're going to see much much more movement. Yeah. I mean, I think as in anything that happens in life, um, you've Got, you've got to have a few brave few that actually start, and then once you see traction, um, you know Diego just talked about it on stage. This notion of results, and we're all results oriented. And I think once we actually start to see that all of these changes we're putting in place are being are meaningful and delivering, I think we'll we'll see more change. Mm -hmm. Diego, do you have anything to add on to that before I ask you? I think that. Um it's a little bit of contradiction to what we're doing right now, but I think we need to talk less and do more. For sure. Uh, and my point is that, listen, uh, some of these topics weren't really in the ether uh, a few years ago, so I think it's great that uh, there's been so much more uh, discussion and, and, and uh, these topics are making it to the, to the, to the big stages. 
um, but I think we need to make the full transition to uh, to taking action. And I think you know some actions. I was just talking about um, the example that uh, you know when people were telling me in my company about well, it's very difficult to get diverse candidates into the pipelines. I said, okay, so this is what we're going to do. I want every slate to have a diverse, at least one diverse candidate in, and I want those slates to be sent to me every week via email. Right. You mean like every employee in marketing? <laughs> and I say, yes, every slate that is open in marketing, I want to see it. So guess what? Yeah. It created the uh, the platform uh, sure. to, for, for change to happen. That's a small thing. Now I can do because maybe I'm in a position to do it, but we all have things that we're doing at whatever level we are that we can impact in order to create some change. And then programs like uh, we were talking about at Fellows, I got tired of this uh, issue around, well, the only thing that we can do is create internships that go nowhere, that maybe give people, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of experience, but then they need to go to somewhere else, to somewhere else, to somewhere else. I say, I want to create a program that I want to guarantee 90% hiring rate because I'm going to get people in that are so good that the chances of me not wanting to hire 90% of them is going to be very, very, very slim. Yeah. You know, you know this note, sorry, if I can no, just build on what, what Diego said, this notion of like little things, I think is actually a, a really big one in terms of how change happens as well. So, you know, um, I, where I'll, I'll, I bring someone with me, whether it's one or two people, but someone who wouldn't ordinarily get invited to something, I'll say, you know what, come along. Right. Right. Because you, you wouldn't have a seat at that table or you wouldn't be able to, but just to listen, just to learn, just to observe, just to see how it how sure. how it works, right? And I think you know, doing that, then when they get to positions of power where they're able to do the same thing or leadership positions, whatever you want to call them, they they reach back and they bring people with them. So mm-hmm. it's just these little things, you know. I I, I um I, I at the risk of at the risk of calling out my agency who I who I who I adore, <laughs> um, but when I first started at City, I walked into a room. I don't know if I told you this. I walked into a room with the agency. And I literally, I like, I opened the conference room and I walked in and I said, tell me I'm not the only girl in this room. <laughs> yeah. Now, I was also the only person of color in the oh. room. And I pass as white, people. Oh. I pass as white. I'm safe, right? Um, but I literally... I was like, and I used the word girl. I don't know why it came out. Like, it was yeah, just like, yeah. you know, I was like, tell me I'm not the only girl in the room. Now, don't you know that the next time I saw them and the new head of the account is a woman and, and things are starting to change. But, like, I think you, you have to make statements. Otherwise, it never changes. And I don't think they had a bad intention. No. That's, yeah. not, that's not the issue. The issue is that if you don't actually have the, if you don't talk about it, you yeah, have to yeah. Bias. that's right. You yeah. have to normalize difference. Yeah. Amen. Diego, I wanted to ask you, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, and this goes for both of you, honestly. Like, what do you think a CMO's responsibility is within the tech industry specifically? Um, is making sure that they're marketing towards consumers that reflects, like, in a way that reflects the actual world, like. Yeah, well, first of all, I would say the worst thing that I think CMOs can do today is to believe that everything is marketing because okay. I think it's part of the problem. Now, uh, when, when consumers more than ever are, are looking to who they can trust, and I'm talking about everything from media to consumer products, um, trust is a very important thing. So I, I, uh, I always say to my team, listen, this is no marketing. We have to create the real thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And then 
just get out of the way. Yes. So everything that we're trying to do, at least in, 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 in my company and with uh, my team, is to um, identify what are the truths that we want to tell about our brand, about our products, but, but tell them with passion and not getting caught up with the, 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 the marketing. Because uh, sometimes uh, um, there's a lot of bullshit right now. Right. Forgive me for the, the Spanish, but uh, um, we gotta we gotta get to what's real, what's authentic, and I think we will we will get rewarded by consumers when we do that. Yeah. Well, because they can see through it. Right yeah. Right. Everybody's right smarter now. Yeah. Like they can see right through it. They'll be like, oh, you did that, but then you also did this, or your values say this, but then you did that. Come on, guys. And so I think this idea of trust is a huge, huge one. I mean, you're you're 100% right. And I think if you're authentic to your values and true to that, and then you you tell those stories, it's just it just feels like it all falls into place, and you get you do get rewarded. I think you're 100%. And right. I, and I wish the the um, more and more businesses uh, start thinking about what they do in terms of the impact on society, uh, not only thinking about what they're doing for philanthropy. And don't get me wrong, uh, uh, my company and many companies invest a lot of money on, on philanthropy, but the, the, the click for me is when you start thinking about responsible business yes. as your yes. strategy. So philanthropy is not the foundation stuff that you do on the side to kind of like feel good about it. It's like, how are you thinking about your sustainability strategy? When you think about supply chain and the plastic that is being used in products when there are companies that make plastic. Right. Uh, diversity is a big example. So all of a sudden when doing good uh, becomes part of doing well in the sense of your business strategy, right. everything changes. Yeah. yeah, It's funny, we talk a lot about that at City. We're actually having that conversation right now. In fact, I think there was just an article that came out a couple weeks ago on the, with the business roundtable that basically the CEOs have come out and said one of the single most important things actually moving forward for companies right now is not actually profit, it's actually their purpose. Like what, how, how their purpose defines, to your point, how they make money. And so, you know, you think about it all throughout the supply chain. I know at City we are we're so diligent about even like suppliers, right? When you think about who supplies, I'm going to make it up, toilet paper, you know, whatever it is, but like for the buildings or who supplies, you know, plastic for the cards or whatever it is, like you really, really think through, are we actually through our entire business and through the entire chain actually looking at how we become more diverse, you know, and who we're hiring and women-led, women-owned businesses and, you know, people of color-owned businesses. It's important. It's really important. And I think only then, to your point, only then does it become really ingrained in the culture versus it being just something that people say. Right, right. I think the consumers are now demanding of the companies that they consume, um, that it's not only representative of the society that we live in, but the society we want for the future. Yeah, for absolutely. sure. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I was saying it um, there, we have uh, in the US 150 million customers from nine to 99 and everybody and in everything, everything <laughs> in between. Um, so we have to think about those customers. Absolutely. And, uh, um, you know, that they all, 70% of the purchase decisions are made by women, but yet most of the creative and, and agency right. people are men and middle-aged men. So you are like, how, how can that be possible? How can on earth that, that we can get great work and great work that, meaning not that just win awards, but work that connects with those consumers to motivate them to purchase our products though, or to believe in our brands if we don't have those diverse, uh, diverse so voices, true. you know? So for me, it's like, um, it's a really uh, easy equation, but not so easy to execute when you have people that don't get it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you.
We are here with longtime friend, uh, <laughs> Shay Jackson McCann, brand marketing manager at Google. And uh, we were discussing, you were, you were just on a panel, you were discussing Black Girl Magic, the yes. wonderful video that Google put out for uh, Women's History Month. Or was it Women? Is it International, International Women's, Women's Day? Day. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we just had a few questions around that. The first question being, I mean, first of all, Black women specifically, we don't get the recognition that mm -hmm. at least I believe that we deserve in mainstream media. So to have a company like Google make such a giant statement in that way, mm -hmm. what was that process like? I mean, it's it's a it's it's basically standing up. It's taking a stand. Yep. You know what was that process like? Was there push and pull? Was it easy to do? And how did you guys even come up with that? Yes. So. Um, Yes, a multi-part question, and yeah, the short answer is it was not easy to do. Yeah. Um, but uh, actually, earlier on the panel, we talked about this a little bit, but I think a lot of it was due to the fact that we had a black creative in the room to say, like, hey, do you think that black girl magic was a phrase that trended? Um, and then taking that a step further, that gave us the piece of data or the actual fact that we could use to then kind of push the boulder up the hill, if you will, just because especially in tech companies, like there's an over rotation toward we can't make the decision until we have the data. And so using that as a means to really support the creative is really what I think um, got it through. Um, and then I would say there was a lot of discussion around because Google is, you know, we're a huge company. We have a ton of responsibility. We have a ton of scale and we really do take making things for everyone seriously. The problem is that when you say for everyone, sometimes that dilutes the work or waters it down because um, you're not speaking to anyone specifically. Right. Um, and so I think we were able to kind of turn that on its head and say, if we talk to this specific audience and we have people in the room that are saying this is like an authentic way to do that um, and celebrating a group that has been historically <laughs> underrepresented. Um, and then, you know, we, we publish our internal diversity numbers and all of those things. So I think just black women specifically like needed it, it, it felt like the right thing to do to celebrate this group specifically. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it, the harder conversations were with like comms and PR and saying like, hey, how do we put this message out there with like conviction yeah. and courage? Um, because they're just not used to like pushing those types of messages historically with these, you know, specific groups. So I think just giving them as much fodder as possible to be able to like make that happen um, was great. I also think that since it came, like since the idea pretty much came from data, I think that just says so much, mm -hmm. you know, because it can't just be black women Googling black girl magic no nope. yeah no exactly you know what I mean and yeah so that that in itself was really really powerful and I guess that was something that like even Google was like oh we can't deny that mm -hmm. you know what I mean? exactly um so do you guys feel as though does the company and I don't obviously I don't want you to feel like you have to represent an entire corporation but <laughs> I'm like legally no <laughs> do you guys feel as though this is like you've taken stands many times before mm -hmm. um this seems like a regular occurrence and the Google is a company that does take a stand and like your overall, do you feel like that translate with lates within your corporate structure as well? I think it's going to be something that like, it's going to continue to be something that we're going to need to fight for because I think there's like, you know, there's all sorts of like changing tides at all times. We're in a very interesting political landscape right now. Um, and so I think 
we're going to need as much data grounding as possible to like continue to build the case for why this is important. It shouldn't be that way, but I think you know, we just have to take into account the moment in time that we're in as well. And it's a complicated question, but things like representation and diversity shouldn't even be any, even affiliated with politics in any sort of way. Um, It's, it's distinct and separate. And I think that's like the key is like making sure that that rings true in the way that we communicate internally and the way we communicate externally. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks y'all. This is great that you're doing this. So we're here with Ty Beauchamp. She is the founder of Ty Life Media. And you are hosting the Ad Color Conference. I am. And doing an amazing job. Keeping everybody spared up. And I wish everybody could see your pants. Oh, we'll have to post a picture of that. Yes. (laughs) So we had a question for you, Ty. Farron, do you want to take it? Yes, I would love to. Um, Do you feel that with movements like Time's Up, Equal Pay, Me Too, they're really doing a good job of helping brands of helping brands and corporations understand the needs of women? And if not, what more could they be doing? What more could the community be doing to help rise us up? That's a really good question. I actually feel that we're not yet at the point where movements like Time's Up and Me Too are um, helping brands just yet because we're getting our legs. Right. So, you know, there is a process in this fight and in advocacy and in activism um, where... One, we have to create um, an amplification of the voice first and be very clear about that so that way we can help educate the masses around the reasons, the cause, and engage them and then brands. I feel like there's really a process. So I don't think it's happening as as much as we would like to see it yet, Um, but the women's movement itself um, will help accelerate how brands become involved. And that's not to say that there aren't some brands doing the work already. I think the important part is that brands remain connected to organizations and movements that are on the front line. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes you have brands that operate in isolation and obviously work with their agency partners and what have you, which is great. Um, but I think it's really important that the dots are connected. So um, the front line insights are there. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that's how we're really going to bring about change um, so that the brand's understandings are authentic. Yeah. They're real. They're not hypothetical. They're not right. antidotes right. to what they think they need to do to sell a product. Yep. Right, right. But meaningfully connected to the women um, on the ground yep. mm-hmm. and what our, our state is ultimately. Yeah. And specifically, I guess, speaking to women of color as well, I feel like a lot of the movements, they elevate women, white women specifically, and, you know, women of color, we have a totally different, you know, like, space, you know, and it's, so it's, it's, do you feel like there's an extra weight there for women of color, like, we have to wait for the women? Uh, You know, I I actually do think so, but, and let me, you you know, reshape some of the, the context that I gave earlier for the first question. First and foremost, I do think that there are brands that are quite active in the movement. So let me, let me clarify that. Um, And I think as a black woman, um, 
the weight is different, um, but there are brands like Procter & Gamble, mm -hmm. even like Unilever, that I think are actively participating that I have seen. Um, I had the great fortune of serving as uh, P&G's uh, early spokesperson for My Black is Beautiful. Mm -hmm. yes. But again, going to my earlier point about the importance of being connected to people in the grassroots level, um, while I had come out of being an editor, I was also on the front line working in development right. with young people in Newark. So I had that perspective then to share with them, and that's what I mean, like where there has to be this real um, connection between what is happening on the ground and how then they activate. Um, in terms of thinking about Unilever with the Crown Act, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So to end hair discrimination, what they're doing is really taking what has happened on the ground. I worked with a young lady by faith, the name of Faithfinity. I don't know if you remember the story about a year ago or a year, about a year and a half ago. Um, the young girl was a sixth grader in Louisiana and was expelled from school because of her braids. Yes. Yeah. So that triggered, that grassroots experience ultimately triggered brands to see that this is an opportunity to be engaged. And what I was so proud to see then is that there were all different brands, competitors even, you know, yeah. P&G, Unilever, Shea Moisture, people coming together, Dove, coming together to say this is not right, um, and then participating in it. And that ultimately led to the passing of legislation around the Crown Act yeah. um, in California, New York, um, New Jersey, and I believe next up, they're trying to do it in Georgia, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. So brands obviously play a role. It's our job and our responsibility as consumers and people who live in everyday community to amplify our voices and make ourselves heard yep, to absolutely. those brands. Yep. That's um, the truth. And we do that both with the brands that we choose to support. Yep. We do that by you know making calls to those brands, being actively engaged on social mm -hmm. media, yep. writing letters and what have you, because it's all up to us. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And I really just want to see a different um, understanding of not only the notions of beauty and what that means, but also identity. Mm. Yeah. Yes. yeah, that's true. Thank you Love guys it. so much. Thank you so Enjoy much. the rest of Ad Color. Yeah, Thank you. you. As you can tell, some gems were truly dropped during our conversations. Please tune in for part two, where we get to chat with Jason Rosario from The Lives of Men, Geneva White and Ada Livingston from Scope of Work, and Justin Tranter, musician, singer, songwriter, amongst others. Thank you.